everybody to this brand new podcast, It's a Crazy Life. My name's Sarah and I'm just a crazy lady on a mission to motivate, educate and inspire you on your very own journey to become the best version of yourself. Welcome back everybody to It's a Crazy Life podcast. As always, my name is Sarah and I will be your host. You'll have to excuse me today, I've got a bit of a cold. <laughs> but um, today's show, I've got to say, is a funny old show. Um, but I am interviewing the one and only Russell Jenkins. Russell is a sports injury specialist amongst many things. But Russell has a miraculous story to share of how he found his calling and helps people today. I must warn you, there is a slight uh, randomness to this show, but who doesn't like a bit of random? I have also had to split this show into two parts as Russell has so much to say and wants to share with us all. So let's do this. Let's hear Russell's story. Welcome, Russell Jenkins, to the show. It's so good to have you here. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Sarah, and thank you for asking me to come on. No problem at all. Um, I love to have a sort of wide range of knowledge on the show. I think it it helps to to resonate with different people. So, Russell, tell us, what is your story and how did you get to where you are today? Okay, so... My oldest daughter, who is now 36, so when she was nine months old, she started to walk, or my girl started walking early, and she turned an incredibly dark shade of blue, the whole body, uh, within seconds, and then she collapsed. So ambulance was called, went off to hospital, we found out she had quite a serious heart condition, Um, and this was 35 years ago, so... Um, rushed into hospital, local hospital in Swindon. Uh, they said, right, we need to get a specialist. So we had to go to Bristol where the specialist heart surgery was. They did all their tests and found out she had a significant number of problems with her heart, um, which would require open heart surgery, but she was too small. They can do it now, but they couldn't do it then, obviously, because the technology changes. So she had to have, so she had four separate holes in the chambers of the heart. Um, you normally only get one or two, but you know, they're not, all four are a problem, but you know, you can you could survive, but not very well. Um, she had to have part of the um, pulmonary artery replaced. So that, so that was, it just degenerated. So they put on what's called a Dacron patch, which is like a, a tube, which they enlarge in it. And there was, Another one, I can't remember what it was now, but the condition was called Tetralogy of Fallow. So there's four different um, things that were actually wrong. So we had to wait until she was 18 months old before we could do the surgery. So she was big enough. Um, so the heart was you know, marginally larger than a walnut by then. You know, so, And in that time, it was pretty horrendous because she was still growing. Um, and if she just you know, walked she would collapse, um, you know, every time. So it was very well. And obviously you couldn't explain it to her really then at all. So she went in for the surgery in Bristol. At this time, 
they were supposed to be a centre of excellence for heart surgery. There was two of them. There was um, well, more than two, but the other one was Southampton, and here and this was the other one. And there was a guy called Mr. Wishart, appropriately, and his colleague Mr. Desmond. They're both both heart surgeons. Okay, so uh, we went in. It was a, an entire day that she was in. Well, nearly ten hours in surgery, so it was massive. Um, obviously complex. Um, they called us up and said, right, you know, they didn't call us up. There was no mile bars then. We, had, we, we went in and, you know, we were told, yeah, you know, we wait now and then uh, we'll let you see her uh, when she had surgery and she finished. So they called us in and she was on all these tubes and horrendous. I mean, it, looked, it was horrendous. It really was horrendous. Um, and they said, right now, you know, she's in recovery, uh, you know, we were in a we were in a flat by the Heart Foundation that that supplied us so we could stay with her. Uh, so we stayed in the flat, and obviously Emma stayed in the hospital. So we went back the next day, and they said, "Yeah, don't worry, she's on all the equipment, so she's not going to respond. She's you know kept in a, a, a mild coma to keep everything quiet while it recovers." We said, "Okay, fair enough." So they said, "Yeah, expect three or four days, then you know we'll we'll." you know we'll bring around three or four days came nothing happened so they kept us like that for another two weeks so she was not responding she was as far as we were concerned she was still in a coma that wasn't true so what she had had eventually that we discovered was a massive stroke in recovery that mr wishart decided not to tell us that and the nurses were instructed not to tell us that. And in those days, he, they were gods. So it was made very clear to them that they would be sacked if anything was said. Right? So it wasn't, wasn't said. And it reached a stage that I needed to know what was going on. And he just point blank refused. He was used to just say, no, she's fine, she's fine. And then I manhandled him slightly and he admitted what had happened and he told us to get on with our lives and put her in a home which just not as in my mindset my mind doesn't work like that she's my she's my first daughter you know so it was just a non-starter so um he said no that's not going to happen um so i said disconnect her from everything and i'm taking her home now and he said, well, you can't. I said, yes, I can, because you've just told me, you, you've not told me what the issues were, and you've actually lied to us consistently. So, you know, I, I, and I did put in a complaint afterwards. Um, and so he ordered the nurses to get her off of all the equipment, and I took her home. So we could take her into Swindon, uh, to see the heart surgeon there, which we did regularly uh, to check on her progress to see if she was all okay, well, as well as could be anyhow. I have to skip back there because the, the consultant refused to answer any questions until I had got a nurse to talk to me. And she, she said, you can't tell my name. You just can't. You know, I, I will lose my job. So I said, you know, there's no worries with that whatsoever. She said, equally, you can't go on like this so that's how you know we that's why I confronted him yeah. quite aggressively you know to 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 sort it out 
So from that point, really, it was a case of she went in walking, talking and running around. She was 18 months old when she had surgery and she came out in total paralysis. So even her eyes were locked. So there was no, no sign of life, really. So it was it was it was quite tough. Yeah, it's quite hard. Um, so my way of coping with things always is to find out what the problem is, um, which has now got me into my next profession, as you know. Um, my wife, she really struggled hard, and I get that entirely, really struggled hard with it. Uh, you know, she blamed herself and all sorts of, of things, so which wasn't the case. So it, I worked for a company in London at that time when there wasn't any such thing as a laptop or a home computer. It was all on great big mainframes and stuff like this. And it was a financial company. And um, I knew a guy there who was in the computer department and he actually contacted me and said, look, we've got something called the World Wide Web that we use, which was meant nothing <laughs> to me. Right. So I had visions of this web in my head, you know, it was like meaningless. So he explained to me what it was, and he said it's used primarily for from um, um, people in education or you know uh, scientists where they collaborate and all these things all around the world. And he put out feelers, and he found that the best place for stroke rehab at that time was in Sweden. And it still is, in fairness, most of the Scandinavian countries are, are way ahead of uh, the, um, the curve and they contacted me and they sent me faxes and all this sort of stuff and they phoned me even and you know to, to talk through stuff which was fantastic and what they had developed was a, a system of um, movement to the body to rehabilitate not only the muscles because obviously she's not moving so you get pooling of blood and so you have to keep moving and turning and otherwise you get bed sores and all this sort of stuff yeah. but more importantly what they wanted to what they were trialing at that time was a thing called passive movement reintegration now what that was if you want to move your hand your brain tells you move my fingers pick up the glass and do it now what you can do you can reverse that signal instead of coming from the brain by actually actively or passively moving the joint all right so you move that joint that joint that one and then you do that one then the wrist then the arm then the other arm then the legs rotate the body jaw every, everything you can you could imagine you you move and you do that repeatedly repeatedly and so there um their theory at the time was by doing that, you can cut a new neural pathway going back to the brain by, by the repetitiveness, the, the brain will, will make a new link yeah. and then you can, you can start moving again, which is now accepted, accepted practice. Yeah. Um, and that's more or less what happened. And it took me just over two years to get her functioning again so she could walk and talk. She had some underlying issues, which 
I didn't understand at the time, but um, I, they, they became clearer later on because when she started school, she was quite late going to school. She had massive problems that the teachers didn't, well, the headmistress was a, was a dragon. You know, she didn't want to know, she didn't want to listen. She just thought Emma was being awkward. Uh, but what it was, um, what it turned out to be, because uh, luckily I had a friend at that time who was an editor of the local paper and he asked what was happening and then he said no this isn't good enough so he phoned her up and said you know we're coming down Monday or Tuesday whatever the day was and we're coming down with the, the company solicitor um, and we want to know why you haven't had this child um, I can't think what it's called now, you know, where they're checked, you know, um, assessed. Pardon? Assessed. Assessed, thank you, yes, by by obviously specialists, you know, people where they come out and do a test on the children. And um, so she was really not by it. Um, but nonetheless, um, she did. Uh, she she agreed, and then the paper came down, or the, the guy came down from the paper and met me at the school as well. And the person then came to assess her and within 30 seconds suggested, well, why haven't you, why haven't you called us before? Because you've lost a year of time now that she should have had um, that. It was obvious there was a problem and, and that she, she was not a nice person. So, none, yeah. so it helped massively. And what the problem turned out to be was she was right-handed when she had the stroke and she was left-handed after the stroke now what you you are everyone is one-eyed dominant so if you're right-handed you're normally right-eyed dominant so someone threw a ball at you you'd, you'd aim you would see it with your right eye and that is what you would focus on to catch right? so if you're right-handed your right eye you know exactly where that that ball is going to be if you were um right-eyed dominant and then became left-handed not by birth but by something happening yeah. you're still guiding with your right eye so your your brain will say well I'm right-handed so I should be using that hand but I can't so it will use this hand but it will it's two inches out okay so she could never catch a ball so you have to do these bouncing a ball against the wall to try and get her to used to practice all simple things like that which you then have to do at school in every break which they should have done a year ago a year previous um, and that just made a huge, huge difference, really. But she's always struggled, and she's socially she's not great because she struggled with um, making conversation. It's just not an easy thing. She's much better now, but mind you, she's thirty six, so you know she's she's obviously changed and developed a lot of the time. So initially, we were told by the people here that she would never walk, talk. Be able to feed herself or ever have a job or have a normal life well that's not the case at all um she certainly can talk she walks she can drive a car even now um she's had children she's had two children now which she was told she could never have she's had uh, she had to have another open heart surgery seven years ago to replace another valve um, they're hopeful within the next 10 years, because it will need replacing again, that they will be able to grow her own, which they're doing already, not hers, but they've already done this with other, so you can grow your own valves from stem cells 
and they put them on a mesh and then they, they grow your new valve, right? which is quite astonishing. And then they said, you won't even need heart surgery again because we can go in through the vein in the leg to do that, to replace the valve. Um, because she's had open heart surgery twice, you can't have it again from the front. Oh, I see. Because the scar tissue that's all built up creates massive problems for her and it has. So if she'd had to have it again, they would have had to remove a load of ribs from the side. It would have been a major, major surgery. Um, so they'd have to cut them and then, uh, you know, put them back. So it would be horrendous to, to, to have it done again. Um, so that is really good news. Um, but she's, you know, she's good. Sadly, two years ago, uh, no, three and a half years ago, uh, she developed cancer. Uh, so she had um, breast cancer. So she lost her breast. But she's got through that again. Wow. This girl is insufferable. So the next development was, so I had another daughter by then. Yeah. So I then had my house repossessed, so I lost everything. Oh, yeah, it wasn't for some very good friends who, um, to survive, I set up. <laughs> this all sounds unreal, really. So, to, to survive and get through this period, I um, I had to uh, set up. Um, another business of some description because I've been made redundant as well. So go back when I worked for that financial company, I I was being sent all around the UK. So I I, I quit it. I couldn't do it because I couldn't look after Emma at the time as well. So I came on. I was headhunted for a local company, an investment company locally, which I worked for. Then there was the big crash that came, which was probably before your time, um, which was really bad news, really, really, really bad news. Uh, so I had my house reposed. Um, yeah, so that was all grim. So then Deb left, and then, you know, it just went, you know, further down the line. So when we lost it, um, a very good friend of mine then, who I was doing some work with, um, just gave me some false references so I could rent a house, because otherwise... The council, well, the council would have just put us into a flat. Uh, well, not even a flat, a bed sit. They were going to put us in for six months, which was madness. So, you know, we just couldn't happen with the dog and everything else. So um, he falsified stuff for me and I managed to rent some houses. And that's what I got through until I got my first house again, whatever it was, 18 years ago. So I managed to dig my way back you know, through things. So I set up a business where... Um, I do renovations and building work and all that sort of stuff. So I'm very good with my hands. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, yeah. <laughs> sounds like uh, and, I, <laughs> and I, I can... I've always believed that you can do whatever you want to do if you want to do it. So I've never been put off learning something new because it excites me when I learn something new and I've never been put off by people who have had high degrees and I've been able to do exactly the same just by learning <laughs> you know what I mean so so again my dad was an engineer so I've been you know I've built motorbikes and all sorts you know anything so I can make there's not a lot I can't do in fairness right? there's not a lot that I can't do 
Um, and not only that I can't do it, I can do, I do it very, very well. So I can't have any workmen in my houses because they don't work to my standards. So I do it. <laughs> You're one of them. <laughs> so, yeah. So there came a time when, after I've been doing all the rehab for a good few years after that, it was like, well, I really liked doing that. And that's where I decided to go. So I couldn't do it initially because I couldn't take the time out or I didn't have the money to do the courses necessary to do so. So by that time I was renting again and I decided to do it in tandem with my building work because I was my business so I could do that. And um, I got qualified in what I was doing, which was uh, a physical therapy type stuff like a, um, a remedial massage type sports injuries and all this sort of stuff. So did all that, qualified in two years on that. Um, straight away, and I've been saying to I got I got to know a lot of people, a lot of the students, and every and out of all of them, there's probably only four people who made a success out of it. And right from the word go, I knew what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. I was just itching to go. So even after a year, even though I wasn't qualified, um, I started to advertise to get people in and giving them a discount because I wasn't fully qualified, and that's how I got started in. And because I have a um, an engineering eye, I suppose, for want of a better word, um, if I see something that isn't working right, I need to know why, and then I can reverse engineer why it isn't working. So again, I'd repair anything, I'd take motorbikes and things apart, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I would do the same when I started working on people, because that's what I've done with Emma. And to me, it was the logical way, but it's not taught like that. It really isn't taught like that. It's taught very regimented and really most bizarre things, really. Um, and again, I was almost thrown out of my college because the question what they were doing was just forever a nightmare. <laughs> it sounds like I'm a real pain in the ass, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> I'd help anybody anywhere, anytime. You know, it's, um, it's just that I don't like bullshit. You know, I don't like someone saying to me, if I've asked them and they're a teacher or an instructor and they give me a bullshit answer and they can't quantify how they've come to that decision. And if you can't explain it to me, then you don't know what you're talking about. It's that yeah. simple. You should And to me, that's, that's black and white. You know what I mean? It's, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you obviously don't know your stuff, you twat. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, which was the case so yeah I couldn't wait to get qualified and go on my own and that's what I did and right from the word go I decided to work from um, a local therapy centre run by Swindon Council at the time I only wanted to be there shortest possible time minimum time to build up my clientele and then I was going to work from my house so I could still take care of the kids and walk the little and my youngest to school still and all that sort of stuff uh, which is what I did. So within a year, I was in my own place. I had, I was earning enough that I could stop all the building work, um, which I didn't do. I I downsized it, you know. So I I gradually got rid of it because <laughs> I was one of those unusual people that when I went into someone's house, I left it as clean as when I went in. Right, and I turned up when I said I was going to turn up, and I'd do it when I said I was going to do it, and all those sort of things. So I was in great demand even then. 
but that's as well so it's um, yeah this is just not it sounds like i'm forgetting i'm not forgetting um it's just one of those weird things isn't it so it yeah just went from strength to strength and very very quickly certainly within two years no within a year of me qualifying i wasn't advertising at all really? so it was all word of mouth because my decision i made when i qualified was that i i won't advertise because if i have to advertise then i'm not doing something right so i personally knew a very nice eye of a an osteopath who I still know, I still know him, and he was really supportive, and he worked the way I like to work. You try, you want to fix someone, not to keep getting them come back a hundred times. So your business model is different. So my business model was, which is a faulty business model, if you want, is fix people so they don't have to keep coming back. Whoa, that's unheard of. You know, everyone always thinks you're going to be, you know, at least there for twenty or thirty sessions at least, and then seeing you every month or two you know so yes it's a it's a it's a weird one so and and word goes around very quickly so it's very very quick so i still now some of my patients um so then they they now grandparents with their own so they've got kids and then they've got grandchildren and that was i knew them when they were single you know what i mean so they've just carried through so the whole thing and and that's how how it, how it works but i have people that come up from london from wow. exeter from bristol from gloucester from southampton uh, i have um two consultants uh any consultants who come up from london probably every every four to five months to see me because of what the way i do certain treatments so that you know the they've just not let anyone they've known about me by someone else and, and i've got one who comes from bristol regularly so yeah it's 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 um it's a it's a very nice thing to be able to do it's amazing like Thanks. just listening to your whole story there like so you, your daughter what's like that of a heart condition had a stroke and then so she was you were told i mean what, let, can i just ask that because i'm a bit like flabbergasted at what you said so mm. when that doctor says to you right well you may as well go and get on with your life put her in a home what does that do mm. to you as a father in that moment what it did to me as a father was my man handled him against the wall <laughs> so and i just said fuck i just said go away yeah. In, an, in an aggressive fashion, and I will take care of my daughter, not you. So that was the words. Yeah. And you had no idea that that, that you were going to massage massage her sort of back to life. No, none at that time. No, my idea was I'm just going to get her home. So I said, maybe I said, will she? Will can she survive at home? Because she was off of all drips and everything then. So I said, yeah. So I said, right, that's it. We're going home. And that was it. End of it. So I had no idea what was going to happen after that, other than I will make something happen because I'm a firm believer in um, the, the laws of uh, attraction. Okay, so um, as you can probably tell, as you well as well you know that I am a very sickeningly positive person sometimes, which I understand. All right, I do get that, but I am a very proverbial glass nearly full 
<laughs> so I'm actually not half full, nearly full, <laughs> which does irritate some people, but it's, to me, it, it is a no brainer. If you've got a problem and no one's sorting it out, then you have to do, you have to do that. And there's many cases where you've seen in, in history, you know, where kids have been ill and the parent has ended up discovering a way of treatment from just being pedantic and reading everything on it. And the worst thing I find, and I, it, it has changed, but not a lot, but back in those days, uh, a consultant's word was God. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't question a consultant. No one could question a consultant, right? So you were belittled and everything else. And even now you still get that with GPs. You know, you know I hear it loads of times with my patients where the GP said to the patient that I'm the doctor, not, not you, right? It's, it's, I am the doctor. Uh, or the consultant will say this, well, actually, it's their body. So again, if you can't explain what's going on, then don't try and find someone who does know how to explain it and send you, send you to them, which is, again, what I do. So, you know. It's just it's quite scary, though, isn't it? Like you know, I, I, I've done a show on it before, and I I, I argued my do my doctor my daughter my doctor, and I wasn't having it. And in the end, I was telling him what my yeah, what my are. diagnosis was, and I was telling yeah. him how I'm going to deal with it. Yeah, and, and, and that's what happens because you've got to take. But you again, I you know, you know, I feel you are incredibly positive and and i think you will be a particularly influential person in your life in whatever aspect you end up going because at this point in time you're you're trying different things which is the way to go you know yeah. but yeah. what i like with you as well is if it doesn't work then you move on you change yeah. it I'm not gonna and that's what you have to do <laughs> you have to be your biggest critic because you you have to be able to analyze things sensibly and logically you you, you have to try and eliminate emotion in some of the decisions. And that, I understand why my ex couldn't deal with it, because I had to become 100% unemotional, really? as far as my child was concerned. Really? And so that, that therefore had a direct impact on my relationship, which, which, yeah. which broke down. So, so in that then, do you do you mean you just had to like? There's no emotion in this. It's black and it's white. That, that's yeah, it and it's I almost disassociated her as my daughter, but not totally. That was always the underlying thing. But everything I did was not on an emotional decision. Right. It was on a fact-based, greatest percentage of success decision. So, where did the idea come from to start? I know, like the the, the guy in Sweden um, sent you everything. So, but how did that happen? Was that just a synchronicity that just landed on your in your lap, sort of thing? Was with that, what? Sorry, with what? With um, you know, when you started massaging, um, yeah, and you said you um, the doctor from Sweden um, sent over yeah. some information. Is that where you got the massage idea from? Then, um, yes, because. Because what it what you had to do, um, you had to constantly massage her body because she couldn't move, um, and therefore that affects the blood quality, and then you can get all bed sores. So 
my my logic was I have no idea to do this so hang on the obvious thing is to do a massage course <laughs> so that's what I did um, and then I added in later on you know uh, sports related and all that sort of stuff which I soon discovered was all a load of bollocks because oh. you know, massage is massage you know whatever way you want to label it it's still massage you're still working into someone whether it's hard and deep or soft and gentle it's still massage right it's touch touch is important right so in many ways uh, you know as you well know um so unless you have uh, so what you don't want so uh, uh, again we'll get onto this later about the clinic i now run is you know i don't want massage people who are just there to earn money because they're not they're just people then doing nothing they might as well be driving a bus because that's all the emotion they show and the knowledge they want to show in and you know so they're not going to develop ever 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 all right so you, you know so it, and it it used to really wind me up that people would just say well my, i'll give you a classic example here so when my dad found out i was giving up a very very successful career um to do massage i thought he was going to disown me right? you know i love my dad we were very close and again, he was an engineer, so you know I did lots of things. You know that, that, that you know that that I can see where we're close with. You know, or we were close with. So he just could not, he could not get it. No matter how I tried to explain it, he could not understand it. And yes. he goes, "You're just mental." He said, "You know, who's had the stroke?" You know, so it's <laughs> oh really? And I get where he's coming from because if you look at it logically, it's like what you're doing. You know. Yeah. But I've never wanted to work for other people. I don't work well with other people because they don't have my work ethic. Right? Yeah. So this is why I'm not great at team sports. Because <laughs> there are lazy bastards in every team and I don't like lazy, you know. <laughs> so you know, I'm not gonna pull them along. So give me one on ones every day of the week and you don't want to play a sport with me, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, doesn't matter what it is, right? So, you know, whatever one I do. And I love sport. I like trying all sorts of I do. I've done all sorts of things, you know. I just love it. And uh, even now, so I still do stuff now. So, you know, age is a myth. It's, it's irrelevant, you know. Again, it's a, it's a fallacy. You know, the patients I see now... Um, so, no, I'll, I digress. You've got some other questions later. We'll come back to that one, maybe. Yeah, maybe okay. that one now. I, I just guess it's amazing like how you've managed to do that for your daughter and if that doctor had have had his way she would have been left sort of thing so you know uh, he would have been in a home where all of the kids went so I'll just digress here okay so what turned out so they so Desmana and Wishart both lost their jobs in the end but Wish, uh, Desmana was put, yeah well Desmana was allowed to work again later. Wishart wasn't. He was never allowed to do another surgery, but that was years. It took over 20 years of him still doing surgeries. So, and his success rate, which he was lied, he lied to us, the success rate initially. Okay. So one child died, one survived, and one had a massive stroke. That was his success rate. Wow. So it became known as the killing fields. So it was, really? it, was, it was horrendous. Just put in the Bristol Children's scandal and it will come up on, on Google, right? So it's, it's pretty it's pretty horrendous. And then, of course, the later on, what they were doing, they were harvesting 
children's organs without telling the parents that they died. They, they took their organs without telling them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was many, many, many things, yeah. That's it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. it's yeah. unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? And like you yeah, say, we do look at these people like they're gods and they know everything. Yeah. And, and, oh. yeah, and they want they want that. So I mean it has it has got better, but it's still not great. It's still not great by a long shot, long shot. You know, I'm lucky that I know some really good GPs and I know some fantastic, in fact, I've just, just been contacted by another consultant now who wants to work alongside with me as well so I can you know that in Cheltenham so and he's he is just like well I don't know how old he is he might be older than, I don't think he's older than I am but he looks older than I am but, you know, <laughs> but his mindset is very much like mine yeah very much like mine so it's not immediate surgery so let's find out what the real problem is and then if we can do it any other way than surgery then that's the way we do which is my belief is you know surgery still has to be an option because there are things that need to be surgery but my my issue is um we need to try and reduce painkillers drugs as much as possible but understanding they still have to be used but there are alternatives that you can have and in fact there's many many i, I can't even imagine how many cases now where I have got them totally off their drugs, painkillers, as well as antidepressants, because that's often what they wax on as well. And now they're living normal lives. So, yeah. So, well, let's do that then. Let's do that, because I, I was going to ask you that, that very question. So you brought it up now. Mm. So what are your thoughts on using painkillers and, and what can we do rather than take these synthetic drugs all the time? Yeah, it, it is a good question. Okay, so uh, again, the first line of call every when any, when it's so, so again, what you've got to recall here, I only work on recommendations now. All right, so I haven't advertised for twenty seven years. All right, so everything is word of mouth. Everything, yeah. whether that's from a GP, a consultant, families, friends, whatever. That's that's the way it works. Um, and my my whole reputation is, I don't bullshit you. I'll tell you exactly what I think it is, and I can generally prove what it is. So otherwise, it's a working hypothesis. So it'll say, you know, we're going to do this, and if the result is this, then we know that is what the problem was. They are all on, some of them are horrendously drugged up. I mean, horrendously. And trying to get them to come off of that is a big problem because they're addictive. Okay, they're very, very addictive, and the, and the quantities they've been on. And I've seen people who have been on on drugs for well, 15, 20 years, and the drugs have never been reassessed. <laughs> and they might be on twenty different drugs, um, you know. And invariably, the painkiller they'll then require a stomach liner, you know, meprazole type medication which lines the stomach, so the painkiller doesn't do any more damage in it. And then you'll get blood pressure from it. So you'll have that. You'll have the water retention. So you'll have a half dozen drugs, which are nothing to do with your problem. It's to do with the symptoms of the drugs. So drugs are a problem. But saying that, they are required. Okay, so I'm not one of these zealots who just say, no, all drugs are useless. They're not. There's a lot. Most drugs are useful. It is the way they are used and utilised, which is the problem. Okay. Okay. So go back to your question. Yes. I am cautious with the use of drugs. So I won't come, 
when someone comes and sees me, the last thing I'm going to do is just say, stop all your drugs. Okay. okay. Not going to happen because their brain won't be able to cope with it. Yes. So they're in, they're in a forever downward spiral. So again, just to clarify, so you get where I am in my life with, with how I work now, I'm, people can only, only hear about me. They are, that's, that's all. And that's from all sorts of types of people. And when people come to me, most, I would say probably 80% have been in serious pain for probably 10 years or more. Bloody yeah. Okay. The other 20%, so I do a lot of, I see a lot of people, right? I see a lot of people, uh, more than anybody else that I've ever come across in my sort of line of work. Right? So I work hard. We try and desperately slow down a little bit, but, you know, it, it's, it's one of these, it's, it's just one of these things. So my first port of call is, we need to find out what the problem is properly. Yeah. If it is something I am unhappy with or not sure about and I feel requires an MRI, then I can refer people for MRIs now. So I'm not able to do that now. So I can do that. And I have a contact within the hospitals, local in Cheltenham, uh, where I get them done. And, and that's done within a week. And then we'll have the report within two days of the MRI. So within seven days, we will know whether that's the problem or as I suspect whatever it is I thought it might be will be and I've referred hundreds hundreds of people I mean hundreds to, to MRIs and I would say probably 95% were what I thought really okay um yeah it's very high very very high but that's because I'm thorough in what I look at and I understand what I'm trying to find out you know I don't do a test just because there's lots of silly tests with silly names okay. millions of them right I can't recall any because I don't remember them they're meaningless to me so if I <laughs> want to do a test I've looked them up and then and this is one of the arguments that was at my college that this guy was doing this particular test in a particular way and I'm going well I don't understand that how how is that testing that muscle because he's laying down and that muscle doesn't function when you're laying down. So surely you should be doing the test in an upright position. Or am I missing something? And he's going, look, this is where it's been done for years. This is in all the textbooks. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> I get that. But explain to me then, why is the test done laying down? He said, because it is. <laughs> <laughs> and that ended up me up in the principal's office. <laughs> so, so, which was, yeah, another another interesting point, you know, but he couldn't do it because he's blinkered, as are such a high proportion of therapists are blinkered because of the way they're taught, right? Really? They are taught in this, this old-fashioned system, um, very one way, you know, it's, it's our way and that's it, you know, yeah. and an osteopath will look at it slightly different to a chiropractor who looks at from physio and so on and so on. But they don't ever look at it as a whole unit, and that's what you've got to do. We're not we're not a hand, you know. We're yeah. not a nose. We're not just an ear, you know. We we're we're a body of many parts, and every part is connected. You know the old song, you know, your knees connected to your hip bone and stone and all that sort of stuff. You can't isolate your body. You can't. It's a unit. So therefore, you have to look at what else can that affect, and there's stuff. So I this. So I, there's something called the psoas muscle, which is this big, power, most powerful muscle in the body. Right? 
that's deep inside. So I found um, a book, a 200 year old book, which was written by an orthopedic surgeon, right? So I just, I found the psoas many years ago because this is the muscle I was questioning about, right? <laughs> right? So I was thinking, this just don't make sense. And all, all sorts. And, and when I looked at the anatomy of it and where it lays, it has an impact on many things, many things, right? So with a woman particularly, you've got this connective tissue and everybody's got connective tissue which holds all your organs in place. Okay. So the muscles inside, when they move, they can, be, they can pull the connective tissue. So with women particularly, um, who, who can sometimes they get symptoms of um, like ovarian cysts or polycystic ovaries and all this sort of stuff, or they'll just get traditional IBS, okay, which is a which is I haven't got a clue what that is, but we're going to call it IBS because then we can get rid of the patient and we can put them on some drugs, which is the <laughs> you know the good old drugs company going really, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah okay and that's that's another subject altogether, right? Yeah. As you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I started experimenting on my patients, because there was no, there was nothing out there, nothing out there about this muscle. Nothing fact, out there about the muscle. You weren't allowed to do it on the massage course because of its positioning could be construed as sexual. Ah. What a load of this. Okay. So it's like, no, we don't do that because you've got to go down low. You've got to go down near the pantheon. I said, well, same for a bloke as well. And they're going, well, yeah, but that's that's why you just don't do it. And you can't. They said you can't you can't physically work it. You can't work it, which I disproved within five minutes. And again, that's one of the other reasons I got sent to the <laughs> all right. <laughs> so it was as simple as simple. And again, no one there's nothing written about it then, nothing at all. Now there's quite a lot written about it because obviously we've got a much better understanding of the body, but back then there wasn't. And um so I started working into these muscles and they just had astonishing, astonishing effects. I mean, un unbelievable effects. And I would question myself going, this can't be right, surely this must just be luck. Because how do they not know about this and how do they not understand its function and what it does, right? It's the main posture muscle of the body. So again, knowledge is a lot better now than it's ever been, right? So there are lots, but people are still so naive about what it, what it really does. Right. So, so why wasn't it so it wasn't written because it was too mm. close to a panty line yeah so it was construed as it could be misconstrued as a sexual thing well only if you're asking the woman to drop her knickers aren't you or asking a <laughs> bloke to drop his knickers you know what i mean <laughs> so it's like and you know and again i have never ever ever had a problem with a patient because i tell them what i'm going to do I'll tell them how I'm going to do it, and then I start to do it and explain it more as I'm going along. And I'll know what they're going to feel because I know what it's like, right? So I'll say, you will feel this, right? And you may feel this. And if you feel that, then it's another part that we've got to look at, right? And they're going, oh, my God, it is feeling that. Okay, now, you know, magic fingers. I won't disagree with you. Know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's... So yeah, we, I, sorry, I digress a lot. I'm really sorry. It's all right. yeah, no, so, carry on. It's good information. Yeah. So for me, it was really very obvious that I found my niche, right? Because yeah. I was successful in whatever I did, right? Because I'm just that that driven, 
right? So, so I'm not a team player. So I, I became one of the top top salespeople in that company, you know, which is a financial services company, the big bank it was. And again, I got castigated because I'd always take one day off a week. I'm going, yeah. <laughs> and again, but you've got to work five days. But I'm ahead of my target. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So I said, well, it does. <laughs> I'm way ahead of my target. Then what can you complain about? That I'm not working hard enough. Yeah, and I was only one of six people who, who ever sold a million pounds worth of stuff, which back then was a serious amount of, of gear, right? Yeah. But I listened to people's problems and explained it properly, even in that. So that's always my belief. So just one of those weird ones, isn't it? This is, you say that, you say that, but now the way things have evolved, I don't think it's weird anymore. I think it's, this is, this is how it's meant to be. <laughs> mm. I had a weird experience today and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> Go on in, what was it then? Well, so, <laughs> so I walked into a hemp shop and um, I wanted to know, because I want to know about CBD, for anxiety and stress. I want to do yeah. a little experiment with it. And then we started talking about THC and the yeah. guy who worked behind the shop, he actually had a brain tumour and he actually yeah. was outside Parliament arguing with Theresa May yeah. about it all. And yeah, yeah. he smoked away his brain tumour with cannabis. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. That, now, that's that, in, that's, that is interesting. So I'm a great believer in hemp. hemp to me, is, is going to be a world saver of the planet, in fairness. Have you read up what hemp is? No, no. no. I'm just, just getting into That's it. your project tonight. Okay. See how quickly it goes, grows. See what it does in biodiversity ways. Yeah. See what you can make with hemp, yeah. right? And you can get something like nine crops of this every year or something. So it's just phenomenal. But it's, it's, it's stronger than cotton. It's easy. It, you can make more things with it. It, it's mind-blowing what hemp is all right so it's mind-blowing so yeah. again in in amsterdam so you've got you have uh, apothecaries which um are for cannabis okay so the cannabinoids that you get in this country they're, they're under five percent forget them waste of time yeah right? seriously they're a waste of time so the place you'd go to is amsterdam you can go in other countries now and you go in these apothecaries, they're just unbelievable, all right? So, and they then have broken apart the, the, the cannabis into cannabis, cannabinoids, right? Which are all the elements of them and taken out the shit, which is giving you the, you know, the, everyone's all scared about. Yeah, yeah. There are more deaths from smoking than you'll ever have with cannabis, right? Because, you know, once you've taken out the bad stuff, then this stuff is good, right? And I, personally one of my patients who has parkinson's he went over there so if you go over there to buy it you have to get a little so he, he had to take a like a perfume bottle an empty perfume bottle and put okay. it in that otherwise you can't get it back in right because it's All illegal right, right? So, right. You know, so so that's how they do it All right yeah. you can't do it by post either because you know they'll, they'll pick it up <laughs> so, and he was so shaking it was unbelievable he, he couldn't hold a glass of water he couldn't even use a pen right and he said, you watch what happens when I take my oil, okay? And um, so I said, oh, okay, well, was it going to be that quick? I said, you know, you've only, you've only got an hour session. So <laughs> he goes, just watch, all right? And his shakes were violent, okay? His shakes were really violent. So he'd even struggle speaking properly because they were so bad. 
and he took this this cannabis uh, uh, cannabinoid oil, and I, within 15 minutes, dead still. Really? Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Wow. And then it was like, hang on a minute. And this was quite a few years ago now. I need to look into this. <laughs> someone's lying. <laughs> Who can it be? Could it possibly be the medical profession and the government? No. <laughs> so there is, and I've got, again, a very good friend who's, who's um, he was a patient of mine. I haven't seen him for many years. He was attacked when he was young and he was knifed. And so he nearly died, he got a massive scar. He, he then had, uh, he was paranoid for years and he was mistreated and mistreated, all sorts of stuff, right? Went down the bad drugs route. Well, then he switched himself around because he actually found that he didn't need the antidepressant. So um, he came off of them because he then learned all about the cannabinoids and he'd go and spend time over in, in Amsterdam where he worked in one of those, these units. And he then looked at the way he could manage his life. Oh my God, what a change to this human being I've never seen, yeah. And is he a druggie? No. No, he's not. it's a natural plant that grows. So it does, it does, uh, it does make you relaxed, very much so, right? So if you have, but he takes the bad stuff out. So yeah. there's still all the relaxing agent within that. So it depends on what you smoke, or how you're taking it, you know, you put it in a cake or whatever. Um, it, it, it works very, very well. But, you, you know, the research that is now being done into cannabis is huge. So, I mean, obviously in, in Los Angeles, uh, in um, California, you know, it's legalized, you know, so you know, there's actual farms that just grow cannabis, but it's for the medical profession because there are so many things you can do. You know, those little kids that they had to get the drug in for their kid because it stopped their bits. They were arrested because they were trying to bring, you know, it's just madness. This is something that works. Just why, look at it. Why is it then? Why are they doing it? If it's a natural bloody thing that grows in the wild deserts of Afghanistan, why, yep. is, it, why is it illegal? And why aren't we using it to cure cancer? Which it does. <laughs> well, it can. So I haven't seen any direct evidence of that, okay? So, but I have no doubt in my mind that it probably could, okay? Really? But I also have no doubt in my mind, because I have researched it, that diet has a massive impact on cancer. Yeah. That's meat and dairy in particular, okay? So it doesn't, it's not the fact that you need to take the meat out of your life 100%, but your diet should have less than 5% meat okay. in, okay? Yeah, yeah. And so the research has shown, um, and it's fascinating, I'll send you two links, I believe, for yeah. you to have a look at, right? <laughs> one was Seaspiracy, which is another thing altogether, right? We won't go and digress on that one. But the, the other one with, with the meat was, was, was mind-blowing. I mean, mind-blowing. Mind I think we briefly discussed it with all the cancers yeah. and stuff like this. Um, and, and there's definitive evidence to support it, right? So it's not questionable, it's definitive. It's done by top cardiologists, researchers who have now lost their jobs in America because guess why they wanted to, why they got rid of him? Any, any idea? Because they, they outed the truth, maybe? No, much more simpler than that. Because the reason they wanted the cardiologist works, what's his sole function in life? Is to work on the heart. And in, in America, 
the main reason is cholesterol buildup and heart bypasses, bypasses and stents. Yeah. Who makes the money? Insurance company and the and the medical company, right? So they don't want them fixed. No. Right? They don't want it done. They don't want a natural process that doesn't cost them. They can get free. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is the thing. Oh, mate, yeah. it, it's unbelievable. It is seriously unbelievable. Yeah. And you do have, I mean, I've, I've long gone over the fact now that this can't be true because it is. <laughs> so the evidence is there. It's just suppressed. And it's and it's talked over, you know, so it, it, you're, you're just browbeaten because all of the things like um, the meat industry, all of the governing bodies of those industries, guess who funds them? Big farm. The meat industry. Oh, the meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the meat. Yeah. Yeah. That's who funds them. That's why they're one of the most powerful people on the planet. And the same goes with seed. Right. The same thing. The evidence is there. It's just suppressed. And we've set up these supposedly independent people who are funded by those people. Yeah. So it's not independent. You're funded by them. <laughs> Well, it's the eleventh it. hour for the planet now, isn't it? And you it can is. see things now. People are actually turning up and listening and looking and doing things. You know, yeah. Um, I can't help but not like Greta Thunberg. <laughs> she uh, just takes a shit out of me. But yeah. I give her a credit for what she's trying to do. I say <laughs> that. She says, again. I want to just break my TV down. <laughs> but give her credit for standing up. And yeah, that's because she's got an audience and she's yeah. got the youngsters going behind her now and that's the only thing that's going to save us but yeah. you know the states you can't trust anything from the states because everything absolutely everything even down to the senators are funded by the gun lobby by the meat industry by the um dairy industry you know it's just it's just nonsense that's a nonsense <laughs> so yeah, there's lots of more natural stuff that we should do. but investigate hemp just do just type in what is hemp used for right yeah. or what can it be used for? blow I, your brain I it think will blow do. your brain, all right? God, Good. I'm going to be starting a revolution, <laughs> I am. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. Russell, right. This podcast is dedicated to mental health, so I want to get into that a little bit now, even though we have. Ah, yes. We have. Oh, well, we just briefly went into that, really, yeah. Yeah. So go on, what's your question, then, that you well, want to ask me? You, you deal with muscular and skeletal um, injuries predominantly. So yes. explain then to me and the listeners, how can pain, like chronic pain, affect our mental health? And is it a chicken and egg situation? Does one come first or, you know, how, how does it work? Yeah, it is. Again, this is missed in our medical profession massively, which is why we have so many drugs, which, of course, we're going to have because they don't want to fix anything. <laughs> they want more people so diabetes people would definitely say diabetes is curable well, why isn't it cured then why because the manufacture of the insulin is one of the most profitable drugs ever made in mankind's history and it still is and of course what causes the most of the diabetics diet, diet yeah. so what's causing that the meat industry, all right? The dairy industry. <laughs> See, all of those don't want that taken away. Don't tell people not to eat meat and 
and drink yeah. less milk. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've digressed again. You see, I've had to learn to stop getting angry about it. Yeah, that's and where I just have. do what I can do. So, the way I manage it is in my own small way, I'm educating my patients. Right? Okay. So again, my target, they don't know that, is to bring them, reduce their drugs or possibly come off of them. So some you never can, if you've got on a cancer drug or something like this, or you know, you've got one of these um, diabetes, but of course that can be sorted out quite easily, but it won't be because your doctor won't allow it. So, and then they'll be scared because the doctor's saying, don't be so stupid, you're going to die, you know, such like inspiring words, all right? So, so when I see someone and I look at their drugs, so I know what most of them are doing, but I always ask them to tell me what they think they're doing, all right? And again, high percentage, 98% plus are always on a, an antidepressant, all right? Always, okay? Um, and antidepressants, if you look at the... Uh, contraindications on the huge right and you every one of them is addictive so you shouldn't stay on them long but hey i've seen people again in excess of 10 years never been checked <laughs> so, long you're on you can't just stop them can't just stop them you have to weave you have to you have to narrow it down over quite a long period of time otherwise you'll be in deep shit you'll be under a bus before you know it okay so and some of them some of them their side effects are suicidal thoughts. It's a useful antidepressant, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Who thought that up? <laughs> <laughs> it's right. Oh, okay then. <laughs> yeah. So just the most bizarre thing. So again, bug it off. I went on another one. So <laughs> mental health and 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 your physical body again are linked. You cannot separate mental health. From your physical body yeah you can't separate mental health from the physical ailments you have you can't it's an impossibility because we are not a machine that we can say we're going to take that bit out and put it over there for a bit and we'll swap one over it just doesn't happen all right so when people are in pain you set up something called a pain cycle all right so so if this is a physical one um what you start getting is pain in your hip for argument's sake or your back which then you 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 something called guarding happens so that's your body protecting it so it goes into a protective spasm right so you start walking funny right you that never goes away unless you fix the underlying problem right so painkillers yep they'll stop some of the pain antispasmodics yep they'll stop some of the spasm but unless you fix the root cause it will keep coming back now, it's all right if you're in your early 30s you know you might have an episode a year by the time you're in your 40s you'll probably have three episodes a year by the time you're in your 50s you're probably having a dozen and some of those will be incapacitating okay so what happens over a period of time you 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 have something called muscle memory so your muscle memory if you know how to walk for argument's sake so when you learn that you're in no pain when you learn that so all the, all the brain and the muscles work as a unit. So they'll know how you can balance because we have to fire up these certain muscles to keep you upright and to move and stare and run and all that sort of thing. 
they'll know the routine. So as one foot comes off the ground, others have got to compensate or you fall sideways. So it's immensely complicated. It's one of the most complex things, which is why robots have been so difficult to design because it is so, so complex. Really? Right? I mean, it is unbelievably complex, all right? So it's phenomenal. It, your, your brain link is incredible. So again, if you don't ever correct the underlying guarding, the compensation, your muscle memory changes, and it changes quite quickly. Within three or four months, unless you've got rid of that pain, you will protect it, and you won't know you're doing it. It's all right? And sometimes I've seen people, and they're like that. And they're going, so what's wrong with your shoulder? And they're going, well, nothing's wrong with my shoulder, it's my back. So I said, so you don't realise you're looking like the hunchback then? And they're going, <laughs> I'm not. That's it. The classic example was this woman that I saw, right? And it was in the summer, so she had a, um, you know, a, a little dress on with, with straps on. Right? And the whole time she was there, she kept on doing this, doing this, doing this. And she's like that, right? So I said, so do you think the problem is with your dress or you then, that your dress keeps falling off your shoulder? She said, does it? So I said, you've been in here five minutes and you must have hooked that up 20 times. She says, oh yeah, I suppose I do a lot. So I said, yeah, but all my dresses do that. So I said, oh, so they've all been made wrong then. All the dresses are wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. I said, oh my God, that's really stupid what I said there, isn't it? So I said, not stupid. It's just you've never thought about it. And because you've seen all these other practitioners who've not noticed it, immediately that one shoulder is up around your ear and the other is hanging down your body. I said, look in the mirror, okay? And, and she's going, oh, you've got to find, a, find one of those funny mirrors. No, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> I still look funny, but I've not got a funny mirror. Right? So, humour always helps in, in dealing with patients, all right? So it was a, it was a classic case that she was being mistreated and she had been for six years, right? What? They never understood what the problem was, okay? So she was now having headaches and neck pain, can't imagine why, so trying to look one way or oh, 40% less than it should be, looking the other way, okay? Trouble sleeping, but her pain was in her lower back that she felt was the problem, right? So they're trying to fix the lower back. It's fuck all wrong with the lower back, the lower back compensating because she had damaged her neck in a car crash. And oh she whiplash. And that compensated to do this. That changes your center of gravity. So you're pulling down one side. So your lower back is actually pulling your rib cage down because of the damage that was done to isolate it. Yeah. All of that makes a difference. I then stand them on two sets of scales, one foot on each side. Yeah. Right. This is a really good visual, really good visual. Again, no one ever did it or never done it. It was just me thinking this. I've taught loads of people now and they all use it. Oh, that's astonishing. So that will immediately highlight if they're compensating and it's visual, right? So one of the worst ones, I'll give you an example, was, was a, a Bath professional rugby player from Bath, right? And he was, he just about told he couldn't play anymore because of his knees keep going. So when I saw him, I said, it's not your knees. He said, yeah, it is. I've had two operations. So I said, no, that's, that's a symptom. It's not the cause. I said, the cause is the hip flexor. That one I'm telling you about, that big muscle, okay? Because that'll protect, that's the one that goes into protection. 
So this guy was what, 21 stone? And so if you stand anyone on two sets of scales with shoulders apart, they should be relatively balanced, you know, certainly within five pounds, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you worry about it within five, what? yeah, half, yeah, yeah, probably. If it was half a stone out, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't worry, okay? Yeah. So he was on his bad leg side, all right, his bad knee, that was knackered and had so many surgeries they couldn't do any more surgery, okay? It was, bugger me, the knee won't fix. <laughs> really? <laughs> Oh, him on these on these scales right and took a picture so because i said i don't want you moving i want you to just do the picture i said you can move afterwards right when i've shown you what it is so i said you 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 think you're level dear so i said nice and relaxed tell me when you feel balanced and he said yeah i'm balanced i'm nice and chilled i'm all right yeah everything's okay okay so he had uh now what was it he was eight stone so he had one side it was 12 and a half stone the other side was eight stone. What? Right. What? So the bad leg, he was going through 12 stone of weight. The other leg, eight stone. So, so this, is the, this is the interesting point, right? So you have something called proprioception. So, you know, if you, if you close your eyes and touch your nose, well, how can you possibly do that if you can't see where, what you're doing? Okay? How can you do that? You just know, don't you? Or your ear, or the back of your head. You know where they are, don't you? Yeah. So how does your hand know that? How do you? How does the? How does it know it? Where that's that spot? You know, that's called proprioception. It's the feedback from all your limbs as to where they are in relation to the centre of your body and height and everything else. So when you walk, um, so the most simple ways. If you walk, you put one foot down. So the feedback from where the ground is, because I bet you don't look like that where you're going, do you? No. You just have your eyes looking forward. Yeah, unless you're on a cliff, obviously. Right? But otherwise, you just look forward. You don't even give it a second thought because your peripheral vision can see if there's any holes or there's a bit of mound. So that foot's gone down. It will send feedback to where the, where the ground is. And then that tells the brain the sequence of firing it needs for the other foot. Right? So it knows where the ground is. So the brain goes, oh, I know where that ground is. I'll start firing up the muscles a millisecond before we need to do it. Okay? Now, if you've got a massive weight distribution problem, yeah. generally your leg length will be out because one side of the, the pelvis will be twisted and tilted. Okay? Yeah. So his leg length was out nearly an inch and a half. What? So that leg yeah. is on the ground. The feedback to the brain is going, it's still an inch and a half to go when he's touching ground. So if it touches ground without that pre-firing of the muscle group, all of the stress goes through his joints, right into his lower back. That upsets them because they're going, what the hell are you doing? This shouldn't be working. And then that causes a spasm. And then, of course, he lifts his other foot off. The feedback coming from that leg, which is an inch and a half shorter, <laughs> so it's the other way around. So each time, all of the joints... So no absorption. The muscle's job is to absorb the shock as it's moving along, okay, and then move your body. It's got a two-pronged attack. So it's already fired, or it's not fired when his feet are hitting the ground. So therefore, all the shock is absorbed through the joints. Hence, you've got worn-out joints. Yeah. Right? And as he was standing, it was that difference. If he would run, that would probably double in work in load. All right. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. Correct that, and I corrected him one treatment. One treatment, wow. all it took. And then I gave him exercises to control it, and then he was back playing again. 
Hands of God. Hands of God. <laughs> I, had a, I had a guy knock on my door, right? This is true, right? I had a guy knock on my door. A real big bastard, a real... I hate working on them as well, bodybuilders. They're so hard to work on. And he came, <laughs> rang the doorbell. And he said, I don't know your name, mate, but... Um, <laughs> I've been told you you've got the hands of God. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's quite a cool compliment. <laughs> I sorted him out anyway, long and short of it. But it's because you're not they're not look practitioners now in all levels don't they look at the problem, but they're not looking at the problem, they're looking at the symptom. Right. Very rarely do they actually look at what's causing that symptom and the symptom that might be showing there might be a, another half dozen symptoms before it got to that one. So as you work through them, and this is what the patient's got to understand, as you work through them, that might not be the primary symptom. There may be something underlying it, which we haven't found because we won't see it until we've got rid of this one and got that normalized and then something else might. And that's why you might not like her. And again, with the treatment, you'll have a couple of lousy days. You're going to hurt. You're going to get uncomfortable. This is because you've got to retrain your muscle memory. To train your retrain your muscle memory takes four to six months. That is doing it four times a week, not once a week. Right? It's got to be done more than less. Because clearly, if you only do it once a week, it will never change. If you do it more than four times a week, it's going to change because that will become the new muscle memory. But if you're not explained that, and this is why people drop out of, of, of exercises. And again, if you go to a hospital, they'll give you a sheet, well, a sheet with maybe 20 bloody exercises. And I've seen that. Well, no one on God's earth is going to do them three times a day. You know what I mean? And again, they're just generic. It's like, oh, it's your shoulder, you do these. Well, hang on, it may elicit the same symptoms. It doesn't mean the same exercises are going to help because you haven't even checked their range of movement or what they can or can't do. So how do you know that? <laughs> and what's caused it? Can't just come on. And yeah. this is what happens. A lot of these shoulder injuries just come on. No, they're not. There's an underlying issue. Always is. Really? Find the underlying issue, you sort the problem out. And can which is what I'm known for. Can sometimes they be mental health problems, like you were saying? Like they Digressed. Yes, yeah, yeah. you went right off the bloody shape. This is your fault for not keeping me under control. Right? <laughs> You're okay. So, the, the, the depression cycle, the pain depression cycle, you have the guarding, which was a whole point, right, where your yeah. body starts to starts to protect it. So as that develops, you're then moving differently. So then in your brain is going, yeah, well, I'm not going to do that movement because if I do that movement, my back will hurt more, so I better guard it more. And this is the start of this cycle of, well, I'm only 30 and I'm like an old man. You know, how am I going to lift my children up and all this sort of stuff? Or the girl or woman, how can I look up, how can I care for my children if I can't even get onto the floor and stand up? Right. So it, and that's part of the depressive cycle. And once you have that depressive cycle, you stop producing good endorphins. And all you're producing is bad shit. And that bad shit takes you down a never-ending spiral until you hit suicides or whatever, or people just give up, uh, or they're so badly injured and hurting in so much pain that no they're just given so many drugs just to cover the pain it's not it's not a treatment it's no. just drugs to deal with the pain the pain isn't a problem it's the symptom just wake up 
all right? Spend some money on examining properly and save the NHS millions. This is and it. Educate the people that their injury is theirs. It's not mine, all right? <laughs> so if you, to change it, I can show you what you have to do. I can show you why you've got the injury and how to change it. And I can manage that change. So as, and it will always be a stepped process. So as you start to get better, we then change maybe the four exercises I've given you. And then as you get stronger, you'll probably want to do them all the time because you'll suddenly start feeling good, right? You'll suddenly find, actually, I've driven eight hours today and I've got out of the car and I didn't have an ache. Suddenly working, right? Or I've slept for the first time and I've heard this a lot. In many, many years, I've just got up out of bed. I've just got up without thinking. Outrageous, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's for me, the feedback is just just what keeps me going, you know. And I love having a new case. I just love it. It's because I see, yeah, and again, I don't know if you ever looked at my website yet or looked at the, oh, um, the chat chat. some of the things that I said, yeah, the testimonials, because there's lots in there that go, you know, the guys obviously. <laughs> got some magic spell or something you know because they always go out with some understanding and that understanding empowers them and yes. that empowerment is the first turning point of getting the spiral instead of going down getting it going back up yeah. then next time i see them and i keep in contact they keep in contact i want them to contact me every week via email so if they're doing something wrong or they're not sure i don't care how many emails you send me i don't care you can send they're not chargeable some people charge <laughs> right so you tell me what's going on i might need to make some minor adjustments but we can do that via email i don't need to see you for that but i will need to see you you know in the first instance you know once a week for probably three or four weeks and when you're bad you know and then we'll develop it and then let's see how you go and of course what happens is they start doing better because someone tells them they're going to get better yes because right? i know you're going to get better because I know what I'm talking about. And the only reason you're here is because you know that I know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. And so I will guide you in that process, okay? And if something goes amiss halfway along the line, then we'll reevaluate. Yeah. And if there's another underlying problem that I don't think I can sort out, then I, I will know someone who will be able to sort it out. And that might require an MRI or, you know, so, so whatever it is, you're gonna we can get you much better. No one will be a hundred percent ever, because no one is a hundred percent ever. Once you start growing up, you twisted drank, you've done all sorts of issues. You don't need to. So when they're some of the ones I see, I would say they're probably at you know 15%, maybe less, some of them, you know, in, in it's just horrendous. And I'll say, you know, if I'm getting up to 60%, you probably haven't been up there since you're probably 19 years old. All right, and it'll never go back as long as you take responsibility for your injury. Yeah. I don't use the word cure because there is no cure. Once you've got scar tissue and damage done, and that's permanent. You've broken a bone, bone broken, you know, it's healed, right? But if you've got a slip disc or a herniated disc, that's, that's damaged. What we've got to do is stop it getting any worse. And we can reverse that. I, I can't, again, tell you how many people I've stopped having surgery, which wouldn't have been necessary, and they've managed it with no surgery. This right? is Because this. they understand, they know... If they don't do the exercises, because I'll make that bloody clear, if you and for the exact reasons we've said, if you don't get it to re-educate your muscle memory, 
then you're gonna you might as well save your money and don't bother coming back because there is no point. But if you want to give this six months, I will guarantee you 100% that you will be better than you have been in many years, right? But it does require you, so you won't have to do it four days a week for the rest of your life. Once you've got it managed, you're going to just have to do the exercises possibly twice a week. So what's the what's the big deal? Do the exercises twice a week or go back to the way you were. Because once you've got scar tissue, it's how the quality, quality of scar tissue is to shrink. So unless you keep it stretched and mobile, it will go back to what the injury was, okay? Well, there it is, part one of Russell's show. How amazing was his daughter's story? I mean, that is one tough cookie and a perfect example of how the law of attraction really can work if you put your mind to it. So I just love the fact that Russell would not give up on his daughter and look where they all are today. It's absolutely amazing. Well, that's all for this week. Next week, next Saturday, I'm going to share with you uh, part two of Russell's show. But until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you all then. You've been listening to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. My name's Sarah and I've been your host. This podcast is dedicated to raising awareness for mental health whilst helping to end this stigma.